This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places – Prisons, institutions, or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism, and the alcoholic is often the last one to recognize it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. The program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. 
We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would our guest like to introduce themselves? Hi, sure. I'm Jake and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Jake, and welcome to the show. Thanks. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Do you want to tell us how old you are? Oh, yeah. I'm a man of a certain age, uh, about 56. And, um, yeah, I'm uh, 11 years sober now. And, wow, well um, done. Yeah, so uh, it's I'm American. You can tell by my accent, but uh, been in New Zealand now for ten years, Wonderful. L- eleven years actually. Got here in two thousand ten, just before the earthquakes, and um, yeah. But uh, it's my second time around in AA sobriety. I was uh, sober um, as a young man from mm-hmm. like age twenty to thirty six, mm-hmm. and um, but we'll get into more of that later. I got two sure. kids. Sure. Uh, they're grown. They've left the coop. And uh, a partner at home, and uh, she's doing the gardening this afternoon. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good life. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Jake. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your childhood and what it was like growing up? Well, um, I had a pretty happy childhood, pretty much uh, trauma-free, except uh, you know for the. Uh, uh, we had Catholics on both sides of the family, okay. uh, and so I <laughs> raised with the Catholic guilt as a, a child-rearing tool. And uh, but other than that, yeah, really, you know, happy days. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And and family siblings. A younger brother um, who's a year and a half younger than me, and. Um, so I was always the bully, and uh, I got lucky in that you know I was, I was I was meatier than him as well as being a year and a half older. So um, yeah, it's it's you know childish thing of you know uh, mm. one sibling's going to be dominant, and I guess uh, he was big enough that I had to fight him for it. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And um, so let's let's talk a little bit about your drinking. You know yeah. why we're here today. Tell us how did it start? Right. Well, um, uh, I guess I got started about age thirteen or fourteen, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, in uh, uh, junior high school. And um, and my neighbor uh, guy lived you know, just behind me in our subdivision. We, we literally our lawns were catty corner at the back corner, and we could hop a fence and get into each other's yards. So we were we were besties. And um, he was a year older than me, and. Uh, yeah, he uh, he got started into the the weed about that time, and uh, I was his okay. best friend. So of course I was right there with him, and um, and then soon after that the 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 alcohol, and uh, you know he had to go through a, a lot of logistics to get a beer when you're 14 years mm. old, and mm. um, and uh, for, I couldn't stand the taste of it. It was just the most bitter piss you ever tried to drink. Why? Why are all these people so crazy about beer? You know, you start noticing all the advertising, and the advertising is just <laughs> thick billboards and on the uh, TV everywhere. Anyway, it wasn't long after that I would uh, I went to a, uh, a party in you know, somebody's backyard in uh, summertime, and they've got a keg in the backyard and surrounded with ice bags and a, and a, and a garbage can. and. Um, and it was Little King's Cream Ale. And uh, you always remember your first beer, don't you? Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, it was a sweet cream ale. Which I guess it was designed to help uh, you know young beer drinkers yeah. get started. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it got me started. And I thought, this is the best thing ever. I, uh, you know, I was you know, taking a wee in the way of the backyard, and I stumbled and fell over on my back and looking up at the stars. And I thought, this is it. 
this is the best. Uh-huh. I understand it all. And you know, uh, you know, was, I found the missing ingredient to human happiness. Yeah, you know, I was firmly convinced that God loved us and wanted us to be happy because He gave us beer. <laughs> and so, how did you know? How did it make you feel? You know, afterwards. Oh yeah, well it was it was all grins and giggles. I wasn't one of those drinkers who come straight out of the gate getting blackouts yeah. and you know uh, you know there was some you know vomiting. That's all in good fun, but um, you know a couple of bad hangovers. But that didn't really deter mm. me. I had mm. so much fun before the horrible hangover mm. morning that you know, if that's the price of admission, well I'm happy to pay mm-hmm. it because like I said, this is the missing ingredient to happiness as far as I was concerned. And I made a quality of life decision to get drunk as often as I possibly could. And, um, <laughs> and, this, and this is your early, you know, your late I'm, teens. Oh, no, no, I'm 14, 15 years early, old. Wow. I, I'm mowing lawns for money. And I started mowing a lot more lawns because uh, I <laughs> couldn't even get a, a job until I was 16. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, at one point I remember my mother asking me, you know, it's the summertime and I'm working hard. And she's like, you're mowing a lot of lawns. And he's like, yeah, yeah. you're making good money. I'm like, yeah. She's like, what are you spending it on? I'm like, oh, I can't <laughs> tell her all the cases of beer and the bags of pot and, uh, uh, you know, concert tickets and music and, you know, and none of your business. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us how it progressed for you then, uh, you know, into late teens and I guess early adulthood. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, um, American high schools are really segregated into cliques mm-hmm. and um I found my way into the uh, stoner clique, the, mm-hmm. the potheads, and uh, you know, we had our own section of the school, and um, you know, sort of shielded from prying eyes, we could set up some sentries to watch out for the school vice principals and security, and uh, give everybody fair warning to uh, drop the cigarettes and whatever else you're smoking, and. Um, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, it's all, you know, I like the whole breaking the law and being involved in the black market aspect mm. of uh, the whole scene. And um, You found that exciting. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, you always keep one eye out for the cops, yeah. you know, because we were always drinking and driving because there was nothing else mm. to do when you're a teenager mm. besides drink and drive. When you get bored of that, then you... And you drive and then drink. And uh, you know. And were there ever any consequences? Did you ever get um, caught? We got good at it. I don't know what to say. Um, we did, you know, kept the consumption low, relatively speaking. And, um, you know, if somebody overcooks it, well, let somebody else who can mm. handle their alcohol better drive. And, mm. Uh, mm. you know, we no one ever – there were no fatalities. There were no big accidents, you know, as um, – you know, I wrecked the car, but I did that stone sober one morning. Right. So, you know, um, it was uh, – well, the consequences were that uh, I was uh, – you know, because I'd made a quality of life decision to do this as often as possible. You know, I um, uh, decided to be a C student. I decided sure. not to do varsity sports. Mm. I decided not to uh, date girls because I mm. didn't have enough money for – uh, to do both properly, and um, besides, a bag of pot never rejected me. Mm. Uh, a beer never said no, mm. and uh, you know, so yeah, it was lower risk to just you know be the wastoid in the corner. And and yeah. your family, 
your relationships with your family? You know, uh, what, what? It, you know, it's, it, you know my parents were divorced, as is normal uh, for a lot of people. And uh, I had a close relationship with my mother, you know. Um, you know, I, I was the golden child in the family. My brother was more of the black sheep. And mm. uh, so I would, you know, often be, you know, teenage years were a struggle, just painful emotionally, you know, with school pressure and everything. So I was often, you know, uh, sitting down with her to have a conversation about how to cope with life. And uh, then the next night I'd be out getting drunk and uh, she'd be worrying about me and meeting me at the door at, you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning to, you know, uh, see how drunk I was or, you know, and, and it was never okay, but she just got tired of fighting the battle. And, uh, and I guess, did you ever feel that it was a problem and want to or try to stop? I would try to slow it down or schedule mm-hmm. it, and okay. I was unable to. Um, I would I would have a test in like two bells, and some one of my pothead friends would meet me in the hallway and say, hey, man, let's go let's skip class and go get high. I'm like, nah, man, I got a test. I got a test. And he's like, oh, man, I got some really good weed. And I'm like, no, I got a test. And he's like, he he, he pulled out of his pocket and showed me. And I'm like, I, I couldn't deny him three times. All he had to do was ask me mm, three times three in times. a row. And, and I, <laughs> couldn't, I couldn't deny him three times. <laughs> so so moving into, I guess, adulthood, um, you know, what, what happened or what was it that made uh, you well, realize you might need – some help, or this isn't well. Normal. I mean, I'm, I'm 19 years old and I'm a sophomore in college, and I, I just dropped out of the architecture school I was in for freshman year because it was too hard. I mean, I made good grades, but I had to work way too hard, mm. and I wasn't having the college experience I wanted to be having. So, mm. again, I made a quality of life decision to withdraw from this architecture program so I could drink more and. Um, and my sophomore year, I got out of the dorms, and I'm living off campus with a couple other guys, and one's a drummer in a rock band, and the mm-hmm. other's a business major who's selling drugs out of the house. He had a nice black market business running. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, between you – know, it was a party house, big time. Mm-hmm. I was, you know uh, – you know, so yeah, and when when a, when a pothead buys a fat bag, the first thing he wants to do is party with people. So mm-hmm. it just never stopped in that house, and um, I was having trouble even making classes. Uh, meanwhile, back at home, my younger brother had uh, you know resigned from high school, and which sent up red emergency uh, alarms and with my mother, and uh, so she started going to family counseling and uh, with my brother, and then. Uh, you know, big brother's name kept coming up in conversation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, counselor quickly diagnosed that we had a minor case of uh, drug addiction and alcoholism, perhaps. And uh, so uh, my mom got a um, two addicts for the price of one de- uh, deal at the local uh, treatment center. Wow. And so it was the strangest treatment center. We only we went in at seven o'clock at night and they worked on us, uh, battered on our denial systems until 10, and then we're done. And uh, go home and uh, stay sober till tomorrow, uh-huh. five days a week. You had their weekends off, and um, that was treatment. And um, and did you stay I, yeah, sober we, during we, that we, period? We stayed sober, and then we I stayed continuously sober for the next 16 years off of that. Uh, I was ready to quit. Wow. I was ready. You know, I, I, I was— actually really tired of the drinking and drugging because uh, I would you know people would ask me sometimes so how are you doing how are you doing really and 
you know, these were you know, pothead friends, and I'd say, oh, man, the highs are getting lower and the mm. lows are getting deeper. Mm. And I was having a lot of, you know, suicidal ideation, and mm-hmm. uh, I was just, uh, I knew my life was going nowhere. I was making bad decisions, and I, uh, you know, I was, you know, you know, that feeling of, you know, uh, I'm not driving this car anymore, really. <laughs> it may look like I'm at the wheel, but someone else is driving. And uh, during, you know, during those sixteen years, did you did did you find your way to a to a to a yeah, yeah. to meetings? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, the the one thing that treatment center did is they put a you know, gaping hole in the, of my denial system mm. so the light could shine through, and then they said, if you want to stay sober, go to AA because it's the only thing that works long term for people like you. <laughs> and what was it like for your first your first meeting? <laughs> well, I remember the very first meeting was at some horrible, depressing little AA clubhouse out by the interstate. And, uh, you know, literally uh, right up a big hill out of the backyard from this place was the interstate uh, overpass. Mm -hmm. And you could hear the trucks rumbling by and you could smell the diesel. And the room was stained with cigarette smoke because this is 1980s. And, you know, is is sort of a room where, you know, everybody starts smoking as soon as they get in there. And the the smoke starts at the ceiling, starts coming down towards the table. (laughs) And before the halfway through the meeting, you're bending over to keep your head in the clean zone. Uh, so, yeah, and it's filled with 50-year-old men who are all hard cases. And I'm mm. I'm 20, and I was like, oh, really? Is this what I'm going to have to do? Then they took us to a young people's AA meeting, and um, Cincinnati, Ohio, had really benefited from having mm. the young people's of AA mm. uh, national conference just two years before. So there were uh, four or five meetings a week that were mm-hmm. you know, designated young people's. And um, uh, and it was rocking. You know, there were uh, a line of uh, fra- flash motorcycles out front, and uh, and waxed up cars, and the girls looked great, and the boys looked tough in their leathers. And uh, um, I thought, this is more my speed. I could I can do this maybe. And mm-hmm. um, the meetings were the old timers in those meetings were. Uh, the people who'd partied hard in the 60s and 70s. So they were no strangers to, uh, to all manner of drugs. And uh, they, um, but really, you know, uh, when you got alcoholism, you know, alcohol is your your favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, it always comes mm-hmm. back to that. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's got the benefits of being widely available mm-hmm. and r- predictable. So so you, you said to us that you stayed sober for 16 years. So what happened and then what brought you back? Okay, so yeah, after uh, yeah, 16 years sober, you know, um, AA did what it said it was going to do. I mean, I, I got my life back. You know, I went back to architecture school, finished that degree, mm-hmm. and had a great time doing it. I mean, I fell in with the, the sober kids, you know, and, and, you know, normal drinkers who just love music. They love going to college and going to see bands. And I saw some of the best alternative rock in the hmm. late 80s and 90s uh, in that period. Um, and, you know, I, I, I you know, fell in love in college, uh, wound up marrying that girl. So I've known my wife since I was 20. So it's mm. like we, we clocked, uh, you know, uh, 15 years. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, so second kid was coming along. It was about 2001. Um it was October of 2001 I started drinking again. 9-11 had just happened the month before, and the drums of war are beating. Mm. And uh, um, that really impacted me a lot. And 
second kid comes along. I'm like, oh, my God, infant in arms. You know, it's hard work. I'm like, I'm going to do this again sober? No, no. It's, um, I'm, it, it, at that point, it had been four years since I'd been to an AA meeting. I'd quit going to AA. Okay. And the words, I'm Jake and I'm an alcoholic, had not passed my lips in four years. And wow. I was deluded and more than a little crazy and, uh, and so self-centered, concerned with my own pain rather than everybody else in the world that, you know, I, I need to drink. And, um, and sponsorless. Yeah, no, yeah, no sponsor. So, it's, yeah, so anyway, I got going and I thought, you know, oh, you know I'll just I'll drink normally. All these years of sobriety, I'll, I, I know how to be sober, I, you know, and, you know, I'll smoke other people's weed at party from time to time. It'll be all fine. Uh, no, it, it just got going, and uh, I was I was Doctor Jake. I was in charge of my mental health, mm-hmm. and Doctor Jake says it's a good idea for you to get high or drunk every day. So for nine years, I did not miss a day. And and, and yeah. your partner, your wife, your children. Oh, yeah, 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 my partner. She was like, uh, "What happened? Uh, what what happened to my husband? Who are you?" Because uh, yeah, she'd never seen me drink or drug ever, and the whole time we'd ever known each other, and. Uh, yeah, suddenly, uh, you know, here she's married to wasted guy. And, um, I mean, I'd go to work every morning, but mm-hmm. come after the kids are in bed and 8 o'clock, you know, then it's Jake time. And, mm-hmm. and you, know, you know what Jake time is. It's time to get high. So, um, yeah, it's uh, – <sighs> so, what, so what was it that after nine years yeah. that got you back into the rooms? Ah, well, you know, it, it's the same stories as it is for a lot of people, you know uh, – uh, certainly for young people getting sober because I was 20 and uh, 36 I still had a you know, nice house young family cars in the garage uh, but the economic collapse had just happened in 2008 I'd been unemployed for two years uh, doing mm. small jobs contracting and stuff to keep afloat but um, we're under serious hardship and I needed to find a new country that needed architects as a, as a skilled profession or uh, we we're going to lose it all so uh uh, decided to come to New Zealand and um, long process, uh, but yeah, I, I come to New Zealand and uh, um, stranger in a strange land, and uh, the homesickness started getting on top of me really hard, and I'd had to leave my weed in a trash can in the Los Angeles airport, and uh, um, yeah, and I look square as hell, and no one's going to sell to me because I look like a cop, and uh, <laughs> so. so um, and I just started losing my mind. You know, I just, you know, it just, I, I, I was tired. I just, you know, I was always kept the emotions locked in a box. I was the boy who never cried. But yep. uh, then I'm walking down the street in Wellington and thinking my kids for a split second. And then I'm weeping and walking down the street in Wellington. I'm like, I am losing my grip. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I realized I had to get sober again if I was going to make it. And uh, so I went back to AA and same deal as it ever was. You got to be honest. You know, am I out of time? Yeah, you know, I was out of time. I was out of money and life was going to start getting worse really fast. And um, whatever pressure brings you to AA, you know, um, whether it's what you just lost or what you're about to lose, that stress, if you can finally say, yeah, the drinking and drugging is behind this. I think I got a problem. Well, behind that admission, then you can do the rest of the work. But you gotta, you gotta make that admission that I'm out of time. And so, tell us, Jake, what's what's life like now? 
again, you know, um, life gets restored once you uh, get sober and, and start, you know, finding enough uh, spiritual power to stay sober because, mm. uh, yeah, alcoholics are beyond human aid. Mm. You know, that's the first thing we explain to you. Mm. If you've passed into a region which d science, Dr. Science, cannot help you with this, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and, we, you know, and mainstream religions don't have much of a clue either, but uh, we know about spirituality. You can use those mainstream religious concepts. We got no prejudice against that, but um, – uh, you need a higher power that can help you stay sober today, and you get to invent it. You know, mm -hmm. it's spirituality. You, you totally define that higher power for yourself, but you need one because, again, you've passed into that region of no human aid. And you've just beautifully answered my next question, which is: <laughs> We are a spiritual, <laughs> yeah. You know, not yeah. not a religious. Um, right. Um, so, Jake, I guess what would be something you would ask? Or you would, you know, ask someone to ask themselves if they think they have a problem. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's different for everybody, but you know, uh, can you picture life without drinking and drugging? You know, mm. whatever it is for mm. you, um, is this how you really cope? Mm. Um, if uh, you, you can't do that, you know, might have a problem. You know, have you given up mm. uh, parts of your life or relationships uh, mm. for it to keep drinking and drugging? Mm. You know, do you have blackouts? Mm. You know, can you take two drinks and then stop, mm. shut it down and go home and mm. be happy about it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's uh, exactly. Yeah. And um, I guess, you know, what advice could you, would you recommend or, or something you know, it's coming up to a uh, a time of the year um, that some people oh. might find particularly difficult, and so some of the things that that can help through that period. Uh, well, you know, it's, you know, we, we we stay sober together, you know, and um, you know, A's uh, twelve steps start with the word we. We admitted mm -hmm. we were powerless over alcohol. Mm -hmm. We do this together, mm -hmm. and uh, so stick close to your. Uh, your sobriety friends, mm -hmm. and um, and stick close to your regular family. I mean, you know, when you go to the, you know, the Christmas parties, um, I always, you know, what can I add to this? How can I make this uh, event better for other mm -hmm. people? Mm -hmm. And uh, whether it's, you know, uh, getting a thoughtful present or doing some cooking or, you know, bringing along a musical instrument, you know, um, Look to what you can add to people's lives and uh, take the focus off yourself because that's the that's the killer that makes everything miserable is me thinking about me and my problems all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. You're welcome. You're welcome. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or you'd like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org. .nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant me the serenity, serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot change. change. 
courage, courage to change the things I can, and, and the wisdom to know the difference. difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.